Well, his many critics view him as a warmonger, but his many admirers regard him as a peacemaker. He was an architect of America's secret bombing campaign in Cambodia, which expanded the war in Vietnam, and also an advocate of détente, the easing of great power tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union in the early 1970s. Henry Kissinger is 100 years old today, and he's arguably been the world's most influential diplomat of the post-war era. Ahead of his birthday, he spoke with the veteran American TV journalist Ted Koppel about how, even in his twilight years, he remains a key diplomatic player. If you've had one of your aides here pick up the phone and call Beijing and say, Dr. Kissinger would like to speak with President Xi, would he take your call? There's a good chance that he'd take my call, yes. What about the Russian president, Vladimir Putin? Probably, yes. (laughs) That was such classic vintage uh, Henry Kissinger. And to talk with us about his life and his legacy is one of his finest biographers, Professor Thomas Schwartz of uh, Vanderbilt University in the States. Good morning to you, Tom. Uh, Yes, uh, it's great great to be on the program. That really was classic. Kissinger, wasn't it? Making, sort of emphasizing all these connections that he has with world leaders, even in his 100th year. Yeah, absolutely classic. Uh, Kissinger, uh, he he has probably the uh, broadest international network of any American uh, diplomat. Yeah, a lot of offices in Washington um, have what's called an ego wall, people who've been working in in former administrations, and and they put up photographs of themselves with with world leaders and and famous people. I I remember once being in Kissinger's office, which was then on Pennsylvania Avenue, just down the road from the White House, and I'd never seen an ego wall like it. It it was just full of of international leaders. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, no, he's known almost all of them. Yeah, and is that one of his great skills, uh, his skill as a networker? Um, I think that is, um, uh, as well as just the the degree to which he um, is able on a personal level to connect often to many leaders, uh, both in his knowledge of their countries, their politics, this sort of thing. And he has been actively involved in international affairs for more than 60 years, which gives him a perspective also that many of these leaders value. I think one thing that makes it so interesting about Henry Kissinger is that he remains such a relevant figure. Uh, The Economist has just done a marathon, eight hours of interviews with him to mark his 100th birthday. We're talking about him now. There's been a lot of attention on him in the American newspapers and on American TV. Um, Was he that brilliant a diplomat or was he a brilliant self-publicist? He was both. um, And uh, I think... Obviously, there's lots of controversies connected to his diplomacy. Um, but at a time during in, in the uh, early 1970s, he was probably one of the most notable people on the planet. Um, he traveled, uh, his shuttle diplomacy in the Middle East made him a, a star in the United States. He, uh, he was a very effective self-promoter. He knew journalists. Um, he understood them. They were sympathetic to him when they weren't to Nixon and, and the Nixon administration. And in in many respects, uh, he enjoyed enormous prestige at that time. Now, that's not, uh, you know, as as the historical records come out, there have been more controversies than the rest. But he, uh, as a uh, private consultant, Kissinger and Associates, he's maintained this uh, level of connection even into the the recent times. 
Now, uh, back in the 1960s, when Richard Nixon uh, recruited him to be his national security advisor, um, I've seen it written that they only actually had one meeting beforehand. And, and Nixon, who had served, of course, as Eisenhower's vice president for eight years, um, he basically wanted to run his own foreign policy. He thought he was qualified to do so. Um, things didn't turn out mm-hmm. that way, right? Well, not exactly. Uh, Nixon brought Kissinger in because he wanted Henry Kissinger's skills in creating through the National Security Council a White House foreign policy operation so that he could keep foreign policy within the White House. And Kissinger did that. Now, Kissinger also influenced that policy. But in many respects, at least in the first presidential term of Nixon, the foreign policy that's conducted is still Richard Nixon's. Richard Nixon is the one who's most responsible, for example, for the opening to China, although Henry Kissinger implemented it. And take us back to his early years, because uh, he was born, of course, mm-hmm. in, in Germany. Um, his his family fled Nazi Germany in, in 1938. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a fascinating backstory. Absolutely. No, um, his family... They were German Jews. They lived in uh, Nuremberg, near Nuremberg, in a city called Firth. Um, and uh, uh, Kissinger was nine years old when Hitler came to power. Um, his father lost his job. Um, the family uh, uh, found itself increasingly isolated. Kissinger's mother arranged for their emigration to the United States. And they got out of Germany really just in time in many respects. Um, and Kissinger would lose some 13 extended family members in the Holocaust. So. Um, but then he would return to Germany as an American soldier um, only five years later or, or six years later from his time uh, in exile and would return as an American soldier and as an occupier and uh, would be running German towns and cities. That's one of the re- most remarkable things, isn't it? Age 18, um, America mm-hmm. enters the war, uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, the young Henry Kissinger actually sees active wartime service. I mean, he's there at the Battle of the Bulge, which was the bloodiest That's battle right. that Americas were involved in during the war. Mm-hmm. Tell us, tell us a bit, a bit about his his wartime years. Well, Kissinger Kissinger was recruited um, uh, very deliberately for um, counterintelligence and intelligence activities. So he was often behind the lines, but during the Battle of the Bulls, those lines didn't matter, and he was actually in quite a bit of danger if he had been captured because of his uh, ethnicity and the rest, he would have been executed immediately. Uh, But he was involved largely in intelligence matters, um, being basically as as the uh, interpreting his German language skills, his understanding of the country uh, really played a key role. And then he would uh, come into German cities with the American soldiers and would be involved in uh, denazification and, and, and basically in establishing control in those places. And, of course, Kissinger is known for his realpolitik, uh, but I've seen it written mm-hmm. that, that the younger man who ended up as an academic at Harvard University was, was far more idealistic, uh, that he believed in this kind mm-hmm. of messianic post-war American mission to, to spread democracy around the world, to become the leader of the free world, that there was a moral core to that foreign policy. What, what, what do you make of that thesis? Because it, it's not without controversy. Well, I think you can certainly find, and his, uh, his, his regular biographer, Neil Ferguson, um, has argued in his, uh, the first volume of his biography that Kissinger was indeed an idealist, although he 
specifies he wasn't as much a Wilsonian idealist, referencing Woodrow Wilson, the American president who talked about spreading democracy, as much as he was a Kantian idealist, a German idealist who, uh, and and by putting in uh, the idea of Kant, he was effectively suggesting that Kissinger was far more pragmatic than a Wilsonian idealist. And to a certain extent, although Kissinger's views on foreign policy before he became national security advisor occasionally veered into this notion of an idealism, he was always much more willing to be pragmatic about his assessments of American foreign policy. And I think it wasn't a big switch for him to adjust to Richard Nixon's desire to limit American commitments and to change American foreign policy toward the communist world. Now, there is this debate, of course. Uh, many see him as a warmonger. Others see him as a peacemaker. He did mm-hmm. win uh, the Nobel Peace Prize for uh, negotiations mm-hmm. um, to try and bring the Vietnam War to a close. But also, of mm-hmm. course, he was an architect of the secret bombing campaign in, in Cambodia. Um, mm-hmm. How do you see this ambiguous legacy? Well, I think, I think Kissinger did. Uh, make a major contribution to peace in the Middle East in the negotiations between Egypt and Israel and Syria and Israel. I think that's probably the most significant contribution he made toward uh, uh, reducing conflict. He also made a very substantial uh, contribution in reducing the danger of nuclear war through detente with the Soviet Union in the opening to China. On the other hand, he was willing to use military force, um, or and, and I should say here, Richard Nixon is the one who actually authorized the bombing of Cambodia. Kissinger could not have done that on his own. and uh, But Kissinger also did believe diplomacy required the threat of force in order to back it up. And so he believed American credibility was at stake and uh, that that credibility needed to rely on military force. So in a way, uh, both uh, understandings of him as someone willing to, to use military means as well as negotiate for peace are both correct. Is there such a thing as a Kissinger doctrine? Uh, not in the, in, in the classic sense of presidential doctrines as they've been developed in the United States. What you have with Henry Kissinger is more a style or method or approach international issues, uh, particularly one that highlights the importance of negotiation, but also the importance of uh, a strong deterrent force and and a a strong military to back up that negotiation. But I think um, Kissinger would uh, probably be the first to argue that he was opposed to doctrines and things that were, um, in some sense, limitations on diplomacy uh, through ideological constructs. That was not Kissinger's style. He liked a certain amount of flexibility in how he approached international issues. I guess the Kissinger doctrine is don't have a doctrine. Um, he's still very busy at the age of 100 <laughs> yeah. years. Um, he's still writing two books, mm-hmm. one very briefly on, on artificial intelligence. I mean, the guy never stops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the artificial intelligence book is fascinating in a sense because Kissinger, Kissinger began his career writing about nuclear weapons and the importance nuclear weapons had done in changing the international system. And he sees artificial intelligence and the development of artificial intelligence as having the same type of impact as nuclear weapons had on international politics in the, in the 1950s. So there is a way in which this is kind of a, 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 a bookmark or a book, uh, you know, effectively ending his career or toward the end of his career with the same uh, issues that began it.
It's come full circle. Thomas Schwartz, uh, a distinguished professor mm-hmm. of history at Vanderbilt University. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me on the program. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.